Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. All stories are the same story. All good and lasting stories are built the same. Stories are told through the hero, heroic from the start like William Wallace or grown into heroism like Luke Skywalker. Doesn't matter. The hero is simply the one who lives the story. Stories are born from the ordinary world, safe, known, predictable. It's the Shire. It's Dorothy's farm in Kansas. It's the house that holds the magic wardrobe. Stories start with the inciting incident. Something barges in, interrupts, an event without which there would be no story. Jaws starts snacking. E.T. misses his ride. The boy puts Buzz Lightyear in Woody's spot. All stories are the same story. Why is that? Who built story? Story is God's idea. This is not a rule book. It's a story. Story is very important to God. God built us to respond to story so that we would be drawn to his story and receive from him our own. The story, act one, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and the flood, Abraham and Sarah, Joseph, familiar stories that form the foundation of our faith. True stories across 22 generations, over 2,000 years, God's story in which we find our own. Every good story is born from the ordinary world. Abram, rich and prosperous in a pagan land, spoiled young Joseph in his father's house. You, planning a year off before college or buying a comfy second home or putting your way through retirement. Every good story starts with the inciting incident. Noah, build a boat. Abram, leave your home and family. Sometimes the inciting incident is an invitation. Your neighbor invites you to church. You hear about a mission trip. You learn about a child who desperately needs a home. But then, Joseph sold into slavery. Sometimes the inciting incident happens to you. The economy tanks. The lump is malignant. The smartly dressed soldier hands you a carefully folded flag. And sometimes the inciting incident is a tragic mistake. Eve takes the fruit. She eats. She gives it to Adam. He eats. You have the affair or embezzle the money. And now shame, guilt, death. But no matter what form the inciting incident takes, it always demands a response. It's a call to adventure. And when the call is accepted, the journey of the hero begins. <laughs> but what is the journey? Through Moses, God delivers his people from Egypt. 
Through the commandments, he delivers them from lawlessness. Through manna, he delivers them from starvation. Through Joshua, he delivers them from outnumbering armies. Why? Because every good story is about deliverance. God built us to respond to story so that we would be drawn to his story and receive from him our own. The story, Act Two. Good morning. This morning, if I were to title this message, and I have, it would be um, The Reluctant Leader, The Relentless God, and The Passover Lamb. God wants to repopulate the nation, so he chooses an elderly and fertile couple, Abraham and Sarah. God needs a man in a high place in government because there's starvation, because of the famine. And he chooses an ex-con and an ex-slave, Joseph. God needs a man to lead his people out of captivity, and so he asks Moses, a reluctant leader, Better yet, he's a reluctant leader that doesn't speak very well. When our boys were young uh, and they would get in trouble, Ron would say to them, boys, I want you to go into our room. That's where they always had to go when they were in trouble. Boys, I want you to go into our room and I want you to sit in there and I want you to think about what you've done. Well, those were excruciating moments because they knew they were going to be in trouble and they were trying to figure out all the ways they could get out of it. And so, in this particular time, it was our younger son, Ryan, talking to his brother, Ronnie. And he was saying, Ronnie, Ronnie, okay, what if we tell Dad that we'll never fight again and that we'll never watch TV again? Ronnie would say, Ryan, that's not going to work. Ryan would come up with something else. Ronnie, Ronnie, what if we told Dad that we would, uh, we would be grounded for the rest of the month? Ryan, that's not going to work. And so this went on for a little bit, and we, we heard him through the door, and, and it, was, it was kind of funny. But, but <laughs> in this story, it's not about young boys trying to figure things out. This is God's story. The story of Moses is God's story. God, who knows all, who sees all, he can do all things, telling Moses his plan. And as we read through this story of Moses and we read and see the conversations that God is having with Moses, Moses essentially keeps saying to God, that's not going to work. God at the burning bush, Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to lead my people out of Egypt. Moses says, but who am I? How can you expect me to lead them out of Egypt? That's not going to work. God says, not only will you lead them, you will leave loaded down with gifts. You won't leave empty-handed. Look, they won't believe me. They won't do what I tell them. That's not going to work. God says, go, Moses. You're the man. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Essentially, that's not going to work. You may be in a place today 
that the circumstances that you're in, your lower story, the things that we're living today, our lower, lower story are the things that happen to us day to day, the relationships we have, the struggles that we have, the heartache that we have, the bills that we pay, the taxes that we're preparing, all those kinds of things are our lower, lower story. And there may be things in your story today that just don't make sense. And God is maybe not doing it the way you hoped he would do it or soon, as soon as you hoped that he would do it. And you keep thinking, that's not going to work. You may be ask, he may be asking you to do something. And you think, that doesn't make sense. That's not going to work, God. You're asking too much from me. You know, clearly we do not see the upper story, the whole story, God's story from the beginning to the end. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything that you can imagine. The story of Moses. What's great about this, we have an opportunity when we read these stories in the Old Testament to see it from God's perspective. So we read about all these, in, the things that God is asking Moses, and we know what the outcome is. We know that God is a redemptive God. He's a delivering God. And so what, it's so wonderful to be able to see these stories from God's perspective. And I don't know about you, but I've read them, and I've seen Moses' response, and I'm thinking, I can't believe he's arguing with God. And then I have to step back, and I think, how many times have I argued with God? And said the same things. Moses' story is all about God rescuing us. Setting us free from oppression. We see his power and his relentless love to us. And our lives that we can live abundant and free through him. God is not finished with our story. If you know Moses' story, you know that he's fortunate to be alive. Because at the time of his birth, the Israelites, sometimes referred to as the Hebrews, were living in Egypt in, kept, in captivity. They were slaves. And the Pharaoh of Egypt was growing more and more concerned because the Israelite population was growing larger and larger. They were getting stronger and stronger. And it's estimated that at the time, the population of the Israelites was between 2 and 3 million. So Pharaoh, because of his position the threat to his position, his paranoia, and the, and the brutalness of who he was, the wickedness of his heart, he made a decree that all Hebrew boys be put to death at the time of their birth. So Moses' mother gives birth to Moses. Like any mother, she's determined to save his life. She hides him for three months until the sights and the sounds of a baby boy can no longer be hidden She's a wise woman. She's a godly woman. She has a plan. She knows when the um, Egyptian princess comes down to the river to bathe. She knows the schedule of Pharaoh's daughter. And so she makes a small boat. She lines it and seals it with, with tar. And she takes, Moses is taken to the Nile River and put into the little boat. And sure enough, as God would have it, Pharaoh's daughter discovers him. And she probably went to her father and with her big brown eyes said, Daddy, Daddy, look what I found. Can I keep him? And Pharaoh probably thought, well, 
what's one little Hebrew boy going to hurt? She takes him home and she names him Moses because Moses means to draw out of the water. Moses is brought into the, into the palace. He's raised with royalty. The, and the province and the kindness and the goodness of God allows Moses' birth mother to nurse him and take care of him as an infant and toddler. Moses grows up, and many years later, he's among the Israelites and watching them and, and uh, the slaves that they are. And he witnesses an Egyptian cruelly beating one of the, the Hebrew slaves. And Moses is thinking, no one, you know, no one's seen me. No one is here to witness this. And so he thought, and he kills the Egyptian and he buries him in the sand. But Pharaoh does find out. And we read in, he, um, in Exodus 2.15, and sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. And there Moses lived for 40 years. He lived as a shepherd among the other Israelites. One day when he was tending his sheep, he saw a burning bush that wasn't being consumed. And then he hears the voice of God in the burning bush. It says, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel have reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. You know, Moses' Moses' initial response was probably, yay, God, finally, you remembered your people. You're going to rescue them. You're going to help them be free. But then we read in verse 10, Moses quickly realizes that the plan involves him. It says, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people of Israel out of Egypt. His request, his his response, Moses' response is really honest. He feels inadequate and he tells God, who me? You want me to do that? He says, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Now go, God says, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send somebody else. God will never ask you to do something without enabling you to do it. And I say that because I need to hear it. Because how many times has God asked me to do something and my first response was, God, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not sure if I'm the one that's supposed to be doing that. I don't know if that's part of my motivational gifts. So I'm not sure if I can do that, Lord. In reading this passage, though, it motivates me to be more trusting that God, when God asks me to do something, that he will enable me to do it. Scholars believe that Moses may have had a legitimate speech impediment. Perhaps he stuttered. And granted, God's request for Moses to be his mouthpiece is pretty intimidating. 
Ron mentioned a couple weeks ago that the number two fear of most Americans is dying. And the number one fear of Americans is public speaking. Jerry Seinfeld puts it this way, we're more afraid of giving the eulogy than being the person in the casket. <laughs> when Moses put all of his excuses before the Lord, God didn't say, wow, Moses, you are so humble. You're so humble. I'm impressed because you're so humble. No, it says God was angry because this wasn't humility. It was self-focus. Insecurity isn't humility. It's pride because it's all about me. I can't do it. I'm inadequate. I'm afraid. I, I, I. The Lord became angry with Moses. And he tells Moses, okay, I'll send your brother Aaron to speak for you. You know, I don't want to underestimate the gravity of what God was asking Moses to do. Because it was a big thing. It's a historical moment. It's a life-changing moment. When Moses went to the Pharaoh, many historians believe that the Pharaoh was Moses' half-Egyptian brother. Moses is now 80 years old, and he's going to the king of Egypt, and he's saying, the Lord God says, let my people go. It's like Winston Churchill staring down Hitler and saying to Parliament, we shall defend our island whatever the cost. We will Never surrender. It's a historical moment. Or it's like the former president, Ronald Reagan, challenging Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Or it's like Michael Garcia, who refused to serve a customer who was insulting Milo Castillo, a special needs child. Do we have the courage to speak when God asks us to? Do we have the courage to do what God asks us to do? You know, honestly, it takes more courage sometimes to be quiet and trust that God is working. For me, it's easier to give a scripture, tell them what God is doing, is up to, this is what God wants, this is what the Bible says. When God is working in, in the lower story and he's saying, would you trust me that I'm working? But there's times that he will ask us to speak. And are we courageous enough to do that? Moses get, does go, go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And he makes the Israelites work harder and with harsher conditions. See God, I told you. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. Not only did Moses say that, but most of the um, Israelites did too. I don't know how to say this in a nice way, but we all have some Pharaoh in us. Pharaoh represents a larger reality than just a person, a historical person in Egypt. It would be good of us to recognize that Pharaoh is the epitome of what stubbornness, of selfishness, of self-empowerment, self-centeredness looks like. And God wants to deliver us from that as well. Moses goes back time after time and tells Pharaoh, the Lord says, let my people go. 
God had performed, um, allowed Moses to perform many miracles in front of Pharaoh. It didn't sway him. It didn't persuade him to let the people go. He just became more stubborn, more harsh. You know, we serve a relentless God who does not give up. He pursues us and he pursues for us. And this is exactly what God does. Even though Pharaoh is stubborn, he pursues his people. The plagues, the ten plagues start. First is blood. Every bit of water in Egypt is turned to blood. The rivers, the bulls, the pitchers, everything is turned to blood. The fish die. The rivers stank. Still, Pharaoh would not let them go. Then the second one is frogs. Now, this persuaded Pharaoh a little bit more. There were heaps of frogs and the stench filled the land. Now, this is where we see somebody getting religious in a foxhole because this is exactly what Pharaoh does. He says, okay, plead with the Lord to take the frogs away and I'll let your people go. But as soon as the frogs were gone, so was his religion because he wouldn't let them go. Then there's the gnats or the lice, and all the dust of Egypt turned into gnats or, or lice. Either way, it's pretty nasty. And then there's the flies, and, and when the flies happen, Pharaoh offers a compromise. He says, all right, all right, you can, you can worship your God, but you have to do it here. And Moses basically says, no way. Pharaoh then goes, okay, okay, but don't go too far. But when the flies were gone, so was the promise to let them go. The livestock died, the fifth plague, the horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, and sheep, and Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. Then there's the boils. He becomes even more stubborn. And then the hail. And at this point, God said, I could have wiped you off the face of the earth by now, but I have let you live for this reason, that you might see my power and that my fame might spread throughout the earth. What this tells me is God also has a heart for the Egyptians. And we have to realize that and remember that he wants them to see who he is, that he is a God, a power, And he is the God, the only true God. The eighth um, plague is locusts. And it says this in Exodus 10, 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, return to Pharaoh and make your demands again. I have made him and his officials stubborn so I can display my miraculous signs among them. I've also done it so you can tell your children and your grandchildren about how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and about the signs I displayed among them so You will know that I am the Lord. I read this and I love it because it just sounds like God's making memories. You're going to, this is what's going to happen and it's going to be a story you can tell your children and your grandchildren. And that is so true. It's so true. It doesn't matter how devastating we were when God delivers us and we recall that story to our children and our grandchildren. It's a story that makes you happy. I want to look at verse 7. Exodus 10, 7 says, Pharaoh's officials now come to Pharaoh. And this is during the time of the locusts. 
And they appealed to him, how long will you let this man hold us hostage? Let the men go to worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize that Egypt lies in ruin? I think this is a question I have to ask myself from time to time. How long will fear hold me hostage? How long will discontent hold me hostage and keep me captive? How long will anger or hopelessness, selfishness or pride hold us hostage? Don't you realize that your life lies in ruin? We usually ask God this question. How long do I have to stay in this ruin? As if God is the stubborn one. The portion of scripture with the locust goes on to say that the locust devours all the fruit and vegetation and not one green thing remained. There are seasons and times and days in our life that there is absolutely no life. There's nothing living. It's, there's no green thing. All the fruitfulness is gone. And there are times that we have to then look at God and hear what God is saying and He always tells us, let go, let go. Because holding on to just get more or letting go to get everything. After the locust, there's the darkness. And Pharaoh says, go, but leave your flocks and herds and even your children could go. But Moses says, not a hoof will be left behind. And then the 10th plague, the plague of death. It says this in Exodus 11, 1 through 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will strike Pharaoh and the land of Egypt with one more blow. After that, Pharaoh will let you leave this country. In fact, he will be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you all to leave. Tell all the Israelite men and women to ask their Egyptian neighbors for articles of silver and gold. Now the Lord had caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the people of Israel. Moses was considered a very great man in the land of Egypt, respected by Pharaoh's officials and the Egyptian people alike. Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, at midnight tonight I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the oldest son of the lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. Then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt, a wail that no one has heard before or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. The Bible says that Moses went at this point and he was hot with anger. This is a now or never moment. The 10th plague happened just as God said it would. If that were to happen today and we were in the Egyptian camp, I would have lost my husband, my oldest son, my oldest grandson, my father, my father-in-law, my oldest brother, and five nephews. It was a horrible night among the Egyptians. This is what we have to realize. 
Rebellion against God leads to death. Sometimes it's actual death. But usually the death is in relationships. It's, it's to our dreams, our career. And it doesn't just affect us. All those that are associated with us will mourn as well. So we have the story of the reluctant leader, a relentless God, and a Passover lamb. God's story always, always leads to a way out. It leads us to freedom. So much more could be said about this first Passover. They said to get a lamb, a spotless lamb. Share the lamb with your neighbors. But on this night that the Lord is passing through, the Israelites are to take the lamb and smear the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe. They were told to wear their traveling clothes, have your sandals on, and have your walking sticks in your hand. It says this, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. The blood is a sign. It's a symbol. The meal is known as the Passover meal because death had passed over them. 3,500 years later, the Jewish community still celebrate the Passover meals. They observe the same instructions and traditions. They eat the same food. How are we saved today? By the blood of the Lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ shed his blood to save us. He shed his blood, blood to save you. He has made a way for us. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want to go back a moment to the very point that Moses heard God in the burning bush. God spoke to Moses and he said this about their deliverance. In Exodus 3, 3, 2. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go. So you will not leave empty handed. We have to know this. We have to know this. We serve a God who will not only lead us out of our captivity. But we leave with plunder. Our God is a God of abundance. John 10.10 says the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. How long do I live in captivity? Because I'm afraid I'll miss out on something. How long do I live in this place that is holding me hostage because I'm afraid I'll lose something? When God says, I will deliver you and you won't leave empty handed, you'll be loaded down with riches. And that's exactly what happens. Between two and three million Jews leave Egypt loaded down with their booty. Exodus 12 says, and the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed and asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. 
the Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So like a victorious army, they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites left Egypt and sure enough, Pharaoh changes his mind. He begins to pursue them, chase after them with his men, the chariots, the horses to bring them back or to kill them. And our reluctant leader Moses says this, don't be afraid. Just stand where you are and watch the Lord rescue you. The Lord will fight for you. And in the next paragraph it says, and the Red Sea divides and God says, get moving. And the Israelites cross over on dry land. But when the enemy come, they're thrown into confusion and the sea devours them. And, not, and it says, not a single one survived. God has done a complete work of deliverance. There are chapters in my life, in my lower story, what I'm living today, that, I ha- that I'm still waiting to see Redemption completed. But we need to know that God is is relentless in pursuing us. He's a God who's true to his story of deliverance. Today, we want to answer that call. I want to give you an opportunity, if you've never said yes to Jesus, to be able to do that this morning. The Bible makes it very clear how simple it is to be saved, to have the blood of Jesus save you if you've never made that commitment. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What I'd like to do is ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I, if you've been here, then you know what we do. I'm going to read a prayer. You're going to follow after me. And if you haven't been here, Just follow along in this prayer. And if you personally need to pray this prayer for yourself, do that. The prayer goes like this. Jesus, you are our Passover lamb. You made a way for our salvation. You came to earth and lived a sinless life. You went to the cross for me. You shed your blood. You died and you rose again. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that you are the Son of God. Amen. Still with your eyes closed and your head bowed, is there anyone here who would acknowledge and say, I prayed that prayer for the first time. I want to be in that place where the blood was shed for me. I want to say yes to Jesus today. Okay, good. Now, I want to share one other thing with you. Uh, God has, at the time of the Passover, he instructed the Israelites on that night, the Passover night, and you can look look up now. Thank you. He says, I want you to have your traveling clothes on. I want you to wear your sandals, have the walking stick in your hand, be ready to go. Because this is faith in action. He says, this is it. You're going to move. You're going to be delivered.
God was asking them to be ready to move. It was an act of obedience. Today, we can also demonstrate an act of obedience. We're going to have containers on the table. And as you see, there's a picture there that represents the Passover blood. And the worship team and the prayer teams are going to come up in a moment. We're going to continue in worship. And what you can do during this time of worship is the notepads in front, uh, in the pockets, in the seat pockets. You can take one of these and you can write down places in your life that are still places of captivity. Places that you feel like you still need deliverance. It might, might be an addiction could be unforgiveness, sorrow or depression, anger, fear and insecurity, shame, lust, pride, dishonesty. I don't know what it is, but you do. There's places in our lives that we still are needing to walk out our freedom. We need God to... Acknowledge to God, these are the places that I want your blood to, to be poured over. It also, you can also take these and write somebody, a name of somebody who might be living in Egypt, who needs to be delivered. A mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a brother, sister, a friend. And so during, during worship, feel free at any time to come up and put those papers in the containers. So let's continue to worship, and we'll worship in this way as well. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5, and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.